And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? Let's call. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Fellas, <laughs> think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from 1948. Then we'll open the sinister pages of the sealed book for a half hour of mystery from 1945. By my side is another mystery to me, my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? It's good to be a mystery. What's happening in Hollywood? Well, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are sharing what we call a Creative Arts Emmy Gold. So they were honored jointly in the Best Guest Actress in a Comedy Series category at last weekend's Creative Arts Emmy Ceremony. They're going to give her one Emmy and they got to share it? Like it's, weekends, you get it? Well, it's a joint Emmy that they won... Four, are you ready for this? Uh-huh. Being co-hosts of last year's Christmas special episode on SNL. Are they each going to get an Emmy or are they just... They share, share one. Oh, man. And I believe that this is the first time that this has been done, that they're sharing it. So they did this imagined conversation between Hillary Clinton, which was Amy Poehler, and Sarah Palin by Tina Fey. Right. And they both were so equally amazing that they wanted them to share this award and give them equal billing for it. Okay. Um, so this was... You know who presented the award? No. Gosh, one of the my all-time favorite old-time comedians who, and Mel TV Brooks. stars. Mel no, Brooks? Bob Newhart. Oh, Bob Newhart. Yeah, yeah he's great. He's great. So All right. Very exciting. Very cool. Thanks, Lisa Wolf. Thanks. All right. Uh, last time we began a episode of Phil Harris and Alice Faye from 1948. Very funny episode. Let's go back now to November 7th, 1948 for the conclusion of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. I want you to know one thing. Just because I'm nice to you, don't think oh, that you can... Oh, where you are, Mr. Harris. Uh, here comes Mr. Stevens. Who's he? He's the sponsor's representative. Now, be nice to him. All right, I'll be nice to him. Just because he's the sponsor's representative. i got to cater to That's him. Right. I'm glad to see you're still here. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Stevenson? I'm glad to see you. Look, uh, Mr. Stevenson, this is uh, Mr. Remley. Well, how do you do, Mr. Remley? Good health to all from Rexall. <laughs> Being nice enough? Don't overdo it. (laughs) Uh, What's on your mind, Mr. Stevenson? Well, I just dropped by with the commercials for this Sunday's show. Oh, goody. (laughs) Yum, yum. We were afraid we weren't going to get them. They're a little longer than usual, Mr. Harris. I hope you can get all the commercial in. Don't plan on it. (laughs) What was that? Uh, well, you see, I'm going to have most of the comedy lines in next Sunday's show, and I'll get a lot of laughs. So we may not have time for the commercial at all. That is ridiculous, Mr. Remley. What is a radio program without a commercial? Let's try it and see. Why? <laughs> Will you keep quiet? This man is from the checks every week, the cow that makes with the moo. Mm. Now, quiet. Of course, uh... Certainly, we're going to have the commercials, Mr. Stevenson. Okay, we'll try it. 
I think you'll find the commercials exceptionally interesting this week. I hope so. What are you going to talk about? Rexall. <laughs> Again? <laughs> you did that last week. The week before. What's the matter with you guys? You got a one-track mind? <laughs> Mr. Harris, you don't mind doing our commercials, do you? Mr. Stevenson. <laughs> Perish the thought. <laughs> I listen to them every week, and I know them by heart. I know you can depend on any product that bears the name Rexall. There are over 10,000 independent Rexall drugstores, and you can recognize a Rexall store just like that by their famous pink and purple sign. <laughs> Mr. Harris, the colors of the Rexall sign are orange and blue. Well, stupid old me. <laughs> Orange and blue. Oh, beautiful color scheme, isn't it, Frankie? I like pink and purple. Quiet. <laughs> I'm sorry I forgot the colors, Mr. Stevenson, but I promise you that it'll never happen again. Well, I hope not. Oh, it won't. And to make sure, I'm going home and dye my kids one orange and one blue. <laughs> Think he'd do it, too. Well, thank you for your cooperation, Mr. Harris. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to run along. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Stevenson. Why don't you stick around and then you come home to dinner with me? Well, thanks, but I'm too busy. You see, I'm looking for a man to head the bookkeeping department in our Canadian store in Vancouver. You wouldn't happen to know of a capable man, would you, Mr. Harris? No, I wouldn't know nothing about no case. Uh, bookkeeper? <laughs> Descent of Vancouver, Canada? 2,000 miles away? William! <laughs> you know somebody? Know somebody? Deed I do! <laughs> Deed I do! My brother-in-law, Mr. Fay. Oh, yes, I have met Mr. Fay. Yes, he seems like a very competent man. Does he have a good business head? Two of them! <laughs> One pink and one purple. <laughs> Mr. Stevenson, may I tell you that Willie's been handling Alice's money for years? I guarantee inside of six months he'll have Rexall almost as rich as Alice. <laughs> well, why don't you send him over to see me this afternoon, Mr. Harris? He might be just the man I'm looking for. Good day. Goodbye. Hey, we're shipping Willie off to Canada. Yeah, what a wonderful way to get rid of somebody that's always getting in your hair and it's... Hey, Mr. Stevenson. Yes? Can you use a tall, thin harp player up there, Bill? <laughs> Wait a minute, Shirley. Don't try to shanghai oh, Barbara. Right. Never mind, Mr. Stevenson. Come on, Frankie. Let's go home and talk Willie into taking this Vancouver job. Remember, don't tell Alice where it is. Yeah. She'll know we're trying to get rid of him and queer the whole thing. <laughs> Getting Willie off to Vancouver. Canada. Vancouver. <laughs> hey, look. What? Let's go home and be very nice to Willie. Remember, very nice. <laughs> William, from now on, don't do or say anything to antagonize Phil. I'm merely trying to help him. Now, please, please. Please, please. When Phil comes home, do me one favor. Don't greet him the way you always do. That burns him up more than anything else. You mean I shouldn't say, Good morning, Philip. Good morning, William. Oh, oh Philip, I didn't hear you come in. Now, Phil, Phil, control yourself. 
Well, he wasn't saying that to you. He didn't mean to. I, I... Oh, hello, Frankie. Good morning, Alice. <laughs> and why shouldn't Willie say that to me? My day isn't complete until I've heard it. I'd give anything to hear it just once more. Good morning. Not you. <laughs> Alice, did you ever stop to realize? Did you ever just, just realize how lucky you are to have a brother like this? You think I'm lucky to... Phil Harris, have you been... Not a drop. <laughs> For the first time, I just realized how wrong I've been about Willie. You mean you like him? Like him? I think he's just ginger peachy. <laughs> Willie, sit down. I got something to tell you. Now, look, take my favorite chair over there. But... Philip, you always get angry. Uh, uh, now, don't argue, Willie. Come with me. Come right over here and make yourself just as Phillip, comfy. Philip, put me down. <laughs> yeah. What are you and Frankie up to, up to this? Well, that's gratitude. What are you up to? What are you up to? That's gratitude for you. After I go out of my way to get Willie a wonderful job with Rexall. Are you serious? Certainly I'm serious. All he's got to do is to go down and see Mr. Stevenson, sign up, and he's all set. Oh, Willie, isn't it wonderful? You've always wanted to work for them, and now it's come true. Oh, Willie, I'm so happy for you. Alice, put me down! (laughs) I wish you people wouldn't get so exuberant. Hey, Willie, stop all of that, and you'd better run downtown and see Mr. Stevenson right away. Oh, hurry up. Thank you, Philip. I'll go down right now. I'll return here and let you know as soon as I Talk to Mr. Stevenson. Phil, I don't know why you're doing this, but I think it's sweet of you, and I appreciate it. I was nothing. Well, Curly, Willie's been gone over two hours. Must have the job by now. Yeah, just think in no time, little Willie will be 2,000 beautiful miles away. I hope he gets a job. If anything happens to keep... It's him. Hey, we're in here, Willie. Oh, Philip Franklin, guess what? I got the job. Congratulations, Mr. Harris. Elementary, my dear Remley. Philip, I want to thank you for what you... You haven't got time, Willie. Look, I'll go home with you and help you pack your bag. Frankie, you go down and get him a train ticket and... Wait a minute, the train ain't fast enough. We'll send him by plane. (laughs) Let's shoot him out of a cannon. (laughs) Philip, will you please listen? I haven't... William... Did I hear you say you got the job? Oh, here it comes. Yes, I got it, Alice. Mr. Stevenson was wonderful. He had an opening in Vancouver. Where? Vancouver. Vancouver? Vancouver? Van Johnson? (laughs) Thought I'd break up the monotony. Just a moment. I'm beginning to see the light. Willie, do you mean they're sending you to Vancouver, B.C.? British Columbia? Of course not, honey. The job is in Vancouver, B.C. Beside Cucamonga. You ought to be ashamed of yourself railroading William to Canada. Oh, Rexall isn't sending me to Canada. They're not sending you to Canada. Oh, no, Philip. No, due to your excellent recommendation, they're sending their local man to Vancouver, and I'm taking his place in the Los Angeles office. I feel faint. (laughs) I feel faint. Yeah, when Mr. Stevenson found out I was your business manager, Philip, he arranged it so I could handle both jobs. He didn't think it was fair to take me away from you. You're terrific. Because of you, Willie will still be with us. I think it's wonderful. I think it's grand. I think I'll kill myself. (laughs) Well, Frankie, I thought we had a surefire scheme, but we... 
certainly messed it up, didn't we? 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 We mean we. Hope he's so plural. <laughs> happens to be one thing I didn't get you into. The fact that Willie's still with us is all your fault. Now, what are you going to do now? Well, there's only one thing I can do. Frankie. Yeah. How much cement did you said we'd need? <laughs> oh, wait a minute, Curly. You said yourself that was too gruesome for Willie. It ain't for Willie. This one's for me. <laughs> this program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. Included in today's cast were Sally Creighton, John Beale, and Ollie O'Toole. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis. Alice Fay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. Sunday is fun day on NBC. Stay tuned to this station for the Edgar Berg and Charlie McCarthy Show, which follows immediately. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show from a broadcast date of November 7th, 1948, called A Job for Willie, starring Phil Harris and Alice Faye, also in the cast, Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, and Robert North, with Bill Foreman doing the announcing. Bill Foreman, Lisa, was the whistler on CBS, but this was an NBC show sponsored by Rexall. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a break. Then, when we come back, it's the sealed book. Don't go away. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, up. Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. Com and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. This is Hollywood 360, and it's time now for the sealed book. Let's go back to April 14, 1945, for Escape by Death, starring Philip Clark. Here's part one of the sealed book. <laughs> the sealed book. Once again, the keeper of the book is ready to open the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the strange and mystifying stories of the past, the present, and the future. Keeper of the book, what tale will you tell us this time? What tale shall I tell you? I have tales here of every kind. Tales of murder, tales of madness, of dark deeds and events strange beyond all belief. Yeah. 
Let me see. Yes, here's a tale for you. A strange and terrible story of two old ladies and how they tried to escape from their doom. I call the story Escape by Death. My story begins in a big shabby old house in the country, fully a mile from any other habitation. In a large ground floor room, which is both their bedroom and sitting room, Martha and Louise Abbott listen to the wind howl outside. Louise is an invalid, confined to a wheelchair. Martha, though able to walk, can only hobble a few steps at a time, so that to them the lonely house is almost like a prison. Oh, listen to that wind, Louise. Oh, I do hate living out in the country like this. We're so isolated from everybody. Oh, yes, Martha. It was so much nicer when we lived in our own house in the village. Even if Roger and Hester are our nephew and niece, we should never have let them persuade us to move out here with them. What is it, Toby? Queenie? Our mother's darling's hungry. Even Toby and Queenie don't like living here. Yes, they do seem unhappy. Queenie hasn't been eating well. Louise, it's very foolish for us to stay here with Roger and Hester. I think I hear Hester coming now. We'll tell her right away that we want to go back to our old home. Here I am at last, Aunt Louise, Aunt Martha. I brought you tea and some cake I just made this afternoon. (laughs) Thank you, dear. I have the Daily Sentinel for you. George Gibson just delivered it. I haven't even opened it yet. Uh, Thank you. Roger, Louise and I have been talking things over. It was very kind of you to invite us to live here with you, but we were much happier living in the village. We want to go back. But, Aunt Martha, it's much better for you here. Really, it is. Of course. You're just homesick, both of you. You get over it. Pretty soon you'll love the country as much as we do. Now, we don't want to hear another word about your leaving us. We couldn't be happy thinking of you alone and helpless in the village. Come along, Roger. Let them drink their tea. All right, Heston. See you both later. Oh, I do wish they'd let us go back. There's no reason why we shouldn't. Do you remember the teas we used to give? Mm. Mary Thompson came over every afternoon. It was so nice. There's no reason we can't move back and give those teas again. Mm. We won't be alone or helpless either. With all the money Father left us, we can afford a dozen servants. Louise, we are going back. I've made up my mind. Oh, Martha, I'm so glad. Listen to Toby and Queenie. Ah, they're glad we're going back, too, aren't you, you fat old darlings? Oh, they understand you, Mother. They know we're not going to stay here much longer. Of course they do. Well, now that's settled. Let's see what's in the sentinel. Hmm. Let's see now. Oh, Martha, let's look at the obituary notices first. Just what I was turning to, Louise. Hmm? Ah, here we are. Did anyone we know die? Now, let me see. Ah, yes, yes. yes. You remember Amos Wilson, don't you? Yes. He died two days ago. Poor Amos. He was about your age, wasn't he, Martha? Certainly not. He was a good deal older. Oh, Martha, look at this. Hmm? 
Why, it says that Mary Thompson is entering the county home for the infirm. <gasps> the poor house? Oh, no, no, it can't be. You can read it for yourself. Oh, that dreadful place. I'd rather be dead than in that home. Poor Mary. Martha, after we move back to the village, can't we have Mary come to live with us? Yes, of course. Why, going to the poor house would be the death of her. No. No, it can't be. What can't be? Read what it says there in the real estate column. Huh? The old Abbott mansion, owned by the Mrs. Martha and Louise Abbott, has been put up for sale by their nephew, Roger Clark. What? Well, it must be a mistake. We never told Rogers to sell our house. Roger! Roger! Now, Martha, we mustn't get excited. But why should he want to sell our house? I won't permit it. Are you calling me out, Martha? Yes, Roger. What's this in the Sentinel about our house being up for sale? Oh, is it in the Sentinel? Oh, I'm so sorry. It is a mistake, isn't it, Roger? Well, no, Aunt Louise. Since the house isn't being used, I thought it would be a good idea to sell it. But you have no right to put the house up for sale without telling me. Now, don't get yourself excited, Aunt Martha. Uh, you don't want the house sold, I'll remove it from the market. You must, Roger. We couldn't live if the house was sold. All right, all right. Now, I'll take care of everything. Don't you worry. Everything's going to be all right. I don't like it, Louise. I don't like it at all. Why should he try to sell it without telling us? It does seem strange. Louise... We must get in touch with Judge Morris at once. Mm -hmm. He's the administrator of Father's estate. He'll take care of everything for us the way we want it. I didn't like the look in Roger's eyes just now. I've always been suspicious of Roger, and if you want my opinion, he and Hester are up to something. <laughs> That's the first portion of the sealed book with Escape by Death. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. And to my right, the vivacious Lisa Wolf. To my left, the very handsome and very strapping Mike Gastella, our executive producer. He does all that. He puts this whole thing together, Lisa. Yeah, huh? he's a busy guy over there. Don't talk puts to him. He puts our podcast together. He puts our uh, national radio show. We have a local show heard in Chicago on WGN Radio that he puts together. I mean, this guy is... Uh, we need to clone him if we haven't already. Um, but look what I got here, Lisa. Remind Magazine. Mike, did you see this? I did. Remind Magazine. I write a monthly article in the magazine. You know what's cool about this magazine? Besides the fact that it has all kinds of stuff and blasts from the past. I mean, advertising from the past and crossword puzzles and articles about famous movie stars and TV stars. Uh, from the 1930s all the way through the 1980s. But they always have a theme, like in September the theme is politics. And so they asked me, okay, what would you like to write? My article is called Radio 360, and I always write about, you know, some something to do with, with radio, of course, because that's my, my thing. And so I thought, well, who was a radio personality that was sort of into politics? Well, Bob Hope always used to rib the politicians, and he could get away with it, you know, because all the politicians loved him, and he could really razz him. So I thought it would be fun to talk about Bob Hope and his uh, relationship with poli uh, politicians of the era, and so that's what my article uh, in September is about. But October 
It's uh, it's about sci-fi, and so I did a, an article on the War of the Worlds. But the great thing about this magazine, which everybody listening should have, it's a terrific magazine. It's available at Barnes & Noble stores throughout the country, but since I write for the magazine, they're doing a special for our listeners, and that is you get 60% off by buying it online at remindmagazine.com. Just go to remindmagazine.com. I know you will love this magazine. All right, it's time now for the conclusion to the sealed book. Let's go back to April 15th, 1945, for Escape by Death. His mother's beautiful queenie hungry. Well, here's a nice piece of meat from the lovely supper Hester just brought us. Oh, Queenie is hungry, Martha. She's got her appetite back since she learned we intend going back to the village. Yes, she has, but uh, where's Toby? I don't see him around any place. Probably in the kitchen. Martha, when are you going to speak to Roger and Hester again about our leaving? I'm waiting until we can get in touch with Judge Morris. He'll come get us whether Roger wants us to go or not. There's been something very strange about Roger's manner ever since we told him yesterday we didn't want to stay. Martha, look. Queenie's ill. That meat you gave her, it made her sick. Queenie, oh, what's the matter with Mother's darling? Martha, there's something terribly wrong with her. Queenie, what is it? Oh, Louise, what can we do? Give us some water, maybe that'll help. (laughs) Martha, she's fallen down. Is she? Is she? Dead, Louise. Queenie is dead. Oh, no. No, she can't. But she is. Though she was perfectly all right until I gave her that meat. She was so hungry. She just bolted it down. Oh, Martha, she must have choked on it. She's choked it down. Did she? I'm not so sure. Martha, what do you mean? What else could it have been? She acted more as if she were poisoned. Poisoned? Yes, I'm sure of it. The meat was poisoned. That's why Queenie died. But how's that possible? It was poisoned because that meat was meant for us. Martha, you you don't mean that Roger and Hester... Yes, Louise. Oh, I see it now. That's why they brought us out here. Why they won't let us leave. <sighs> They're planning to kill us. They're after our money. Oh, Martha, what are we going to do? Now we've got to get in touch with Judge Morris right away. You'll save us. But, Martha, how can we? The telephone is upstairs in Hester's room, and neither of us can climb stairs. I know that. We've got to figure another way to reach him. Louise, our lives depend upon it. All that night, the two old ladies, terror in their hearts tossed and turned in an effort to think of a way of escape from the horrible trap in which they found themselves. In the morning, they thought they had discovered how to do it. When George Gibson, the rural mail carrier, came by, Louise called him and gave him a frantic message to Judge Morris, which he promised to deliver. However, a few minutes later, encountering Roger, their nephew, George Gibson told him what had happened and Roger managed to persuade him not to deliver the message. Then Roger hurried home to consult with Hester. Roger, you say that while Martha was out here in the kitchen with me, Louise was giving George Gibson a message for Judge Morris? Yes. She seemed so excited that George stopped me on the road to tell me about it. Hester, I'm afraid they suspect. Oh, no, no, they mustn't. 
We mustn't let them. I should say not, after all the trouble we've gone to. We would ruin everything. We've got to quiet their suspicion somehow. We've got to make them like it here, so they'll be perfectly content to stay with us until they die. For 24 hours, Martha and Louise have waited in trembling impatience for George Gibson to bring word that Judge Morris has received their frantic appeal for help. Oh, Martha, where can George be? He's more than an hour late. And he's probably just been delayed. Maybe the car broke down. He'll be here soon. Yes, here he comes now. He's turning up the drive. Oh, Martha, I was so worried. I told you he wouldn't fail us. There's Roger taking the mail from him. Suppose Roger doesn't let him see us. He might... Louise. What is it, Martha? What's wrong? That isn't the much younger man. Now he's leaving. Roger's coming back in the house. Martha, where do you suppose George is? I don't know. I don't understand. Perhaps he's sick today. Here comes Roger. Hello, Aunt Martha. Aunt Louise. Here's a magazine that came in the mail. I thought you might like to see it. Thank you, Roger. Why didn't George Gibson deliver the mail today? Oh, you saw that there was a new driver. Well, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but yesterday afternoon, poor George was killed. Killed? Oh, no. He uh, he had a a bad accident as he was returning to the village. An accident? Yes. I'd rather not talk about it anymore now. It'll just upset you. Hester will bring you some supper soon. Oh, George. That means Judge Morris didn't get our message. Oh, Martha. Don't you see, Louise? That wasn't any accident. George was killed to keep him from going to Judge Morris. <gasps> Martha, you you can't mean that Roger and Hester... Yes, Louise, they'll stop at nothing to get our money. But, but what are we going to do? We can't get a message to anyone. And, and they're poisoning our food. We haven't eaten a thing since poor Queenie died. We can't go on... Throwing the food away or we'll starve. There's only one thing to do. You mean to see if it's poison? Yes. It's dreadful having to risk poor Toby's life, but it's the only thing we can do. Toby, a nice piece of meat for Mother's darling. Mother, I get so frightened every time I see Toby eating something. I keep remembering Queenie and the dreadful way she died. Now, now, Louise, we mustn't think of that. Here, Toby, dear. Mother, why are you feeding Toby? Well, he gets plenty to eat in the kitchen. He'll die of overeating if you aren't careful. (gasps) I've always fed Toby from my own plate. He expects it. But, Aunt Martha, if you feed that meat to the cat, there won't be enough for you. No. And if you're to get well, you need all that food. Now, I don't want you feeding Toby any more of it. Here, Toby. Come on, boy. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on out the kitchen, Aunt Martha Louise. Eat their supper. Aunt Martha, Aunt Louise, I've got you your lunch. Doesn't it look good? Yes, Hester, it's very nice. Here, Toby. Hester, have you seen Toby? No, Aunt Martha, I haven't. But where could he be? Toby's always on time for meals. Oh, he's probably someplace around the house. Now, eat your lunch before it gets cold. Oh, Martha, where can he be? Toby will be along in a few minutes. We won't touch a bit of this food until he's eaten some of it. I do wish he were here. 
I'm so hungry. Louise, don't touch a thing on that tray. It isn't safe. Here, Toby. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Good Martha and Louise. How are you? Good evening, Roger. I have supper here for you, too. Well, Martha, neither of you ate your lunch. What's wrong? We we weren't hungry, Esther. Have you found Toby yet? No, I've looked everywhere for him, but he seems to have disappeared. Oh, no. Now, 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 you mustn't oh. worry. I'm sure he'll turn up all Aunt right. Martha, you and Aunt Louise can't afford to miss meals in your state of health. Certainly not. Now, we want you to eat everything that Hester's brought you. Mm-hmm. You'll make us very unhappy if you don't. Now, please eat it while it's hot. Come along, Roger. I'll get you your supper. All right, dear. Did you hear what she said about Toby, Louise? Yes. He's vanished. Nonsense. They've killed him. You saw how angry they were last night when we fed Toby from our plates. They've killed him so he won't spoil their plans. Oh, Martha, what are we going to do? I'm so hungry that my, my head spins and I'm dizzy. I know, Louise. So am I. Oh, I hate them. I hate them. We're leaving them our money and our wills. They'll get it soon enough. Why must they kill us? Because they're nothing but common murderers. I distrusted Roger from the minute Hester first brought him to our house. Yes, it's his fault. He's changed, Hester. She used to be such a sweet girl. There was only some way to get word to the village or to bring somebody here to help us. Louise, I have an idea. What is it, Martha? There's one way to bring people here. What, Martha? If we were to set fire to the house, somebody would be sure to see the flames. Yes, of course. And then the fire company would come out. Then we'd be able to tell them we'd be saved. Oh, but, Martha, Hester and Roger would put out the fire before it could get big enough to be seen. Louise, I know a way we can prevent them from putting out the fire. You, you do? Yes, we can save ourselves, Louise. We can save ourselves. Here, Toby. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Martha, why are you looking down the cellar stairs like that? Now, you should be in your room. You certainly should. It's drafty out here in the hall. Now, close the cellar door and go back to your room. But I heard Toby crying. He's down in the cellar, and I won't go to my room until I get him. But Aunt Martha... Roger, he... just to put Aunt Martha's mind at ease, why don't you go down the cellar and see if Toby is there? Oh, all right. What if you ask me, it's such a waste of time. Please help him look for Toby Hester. You'll find him so much quicker if you both look for but him. Aunt Martha... Oh, very well. But you go back to your room so you don't catch cold. Roger, do you see him? Doesn't seem to be any place here in the cellar. Now we'll see just how smart you are trying to poison us. There. You won't stop us from escaping now. I'm scared, Louise. Louise! Louise, it worked. You mean you were able to lock them in the cellar? Yes, and with the door locked, they can't get out. Now, don't you worry about it, Louise. I'll take care of everything. What are you doing with that kerosene lamp? Pouring the kerosene around the room so it will burn better. There. Are you ready to leave, Louise? Yes, Martha. Now strike a match and start the fire. 
away from the house to be perfectly safe. Oh, my. The whole house is on fire. Do you think they can see it in the village by now, Martha? I'm sure they do. Now, remember, Louise, when the fire company gets here, we don't know what happened to Roger and Hester. We just managed to get out ourselves. Yes, Martha. If we told them what we were forced to do to escape, we have to reveal that our own niece and nephew were poisonous, murderous. We don't want to disgrace the family name, Louise. Oh, no, Martha, of course not. Good morning, Judge Morris. Good morning, Miss Martha, Miss Louise. Hmm. I trust you're well after that terrible ordeal last night. Oh, we're feeling much better. Thank you, Judge Morris. I know it'll be painful for you, but now that your niece and nephew are gone, we must plan for your future. Oh, you don't have to bother, Judge. All we want to do is move back to our old house, hire a few servants, and live as we used to. Oh, uh, yes. And I was wondering <laughs> if you could arrange to have Mary Thompson come live with us. I won't hear of her going to that dreadful home for the infirm. Why, the poor house would be the death of her. Oh, no, we can't let her go there. With all the money Father left us, there's no reason why she should. Uh, ladies, I'd hoped I'd never have to reveal the truth to you, but now it appears I must. The truth? I don't understand, Judge. Some weeks ago, the bonds in the trust fund your father left you became utterly worthless. What? Your nephew and niece were afraid the shock of learning you were penniless would be too much for you. So it was decided to keep the news from you. That's why the three of us persuaded you to move in with them. Your house here in the village had to be sold to meet the debts of the estate. But, but that can't be. Father left us so much. It's all worthless now. Perhaps I should have told you this a month ago. But your niece and nephew wouldn't hear of it. In spite of the fact that they had only Roger's salary to live on, they were determined to prevent you from ever learning of your misfortune. Oh, but the, the deaths of poor Queenie and Toby, of George Gibson. George Gibson? Yes. I'm afraid I don't understand. Surely you heard that he was killed. The tire blew out and his car turned over. You mean he wasn't murdered? Certainly not. Oh. Are you feeling well? Has my news been too much for you? No, no. Well... Now that your niece and nephew are gone, there's no one to support you, I'm afraid there's only one thing left. One thing left? What's that? I'm sorry to say, believe me, I am. The county home for the infirm. Oh. The poor house.
And that is the tale of escape by death, as it is written in the sealed book. Louise and Martha, because they could not believe that the death of their cat was an accident, convinced themselves that they were in danger of being killed, and in their frantic efforts to escape, ruthlessly destroyed their only protectors. Strange are the ways in which fate plays tricks on mere mortals. But the sound of the great gong tells me it's time to close the sealed book once more. One moment, keeper of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time? Next time? <laughs> what kind of a tale would you like? A story of ghosts? Of vampires? Of werewolves howling in the night? A tale of dark plots and evil deeds? Of a strange fate overtaking the guilty? Let me see. I'll find one for you in just a moment. And now, keeper of the book, have you found the story that you'll tell next time? Yes, yes, I found one for you. It's the amazing story of a woman's jealousy. So great that it would not let her lie quietly in her grave, but made her seek revenge even from behind the dark veil of death. I call it Death at Storm House. <laughs> be sure to be with us next time to hear another strange and mysterious story from... The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. And that's The Sealed Book from April 15, 1945, with Escape by Death, starring Philip Clark, as heard on the Mutual Broadcasting System. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, the... Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's The Saint, the Jack Benny program, Box 13, Gunsmoke, Fibber McGee and Molly, and Dark Fantasy. For my co-host Lisa Wolf, executive producer Mike Costella, engineer Sam Wolf, Vince and Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West, and me, Carl Amari, thank you all very much for tuning in. And make sure you go to RemindMagazine.com and pick up your subscription of Remind at 60% off the newsstand price. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. 
To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at Hollywood360Radio.com. Adam West speaking.